On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we launch Sports Movie Month all of April to celebrate sports that we are sadly missing out on by watching some of the best movies about them, starting with maybe the most beloved baseball movie amongst baseball players, Major League. Get your popcorn ready. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a quarantine podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual from another secret location via Zoom is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David... How you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Yeah. Starting to get a little bit of cabin fever. Yeah. But, uh, we're doing all right. It's we're we're doing all right. We we have our moments. I've been we have been working from home for our real big boy jobs for two weeks. Yeah. I think two weeks. two weeks. And there are moments of cabin fever, that's for sure. Now we before we get started with everything obviously this is this episode might sound a little bit differently we did one of our franchise refill episodes on uh fast and furious tokyo drift over zoom which you can listen to if you subscribe to our patreon but we we this is the first uh what's the word i'm looking for public i guess podcast episode that we're doing over zoom so bear with us. You know, there might be some wiggle room. There might be some uh, some growing pains as we do the, uh, the you know, the responsible thing, the social distancing, the flatten the curve, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, we're doing our part, staying inside. And I got enough canned food to last me for as long as I need, David. So I'm doing okay there. But David, you and I talked about what we're going to be doing for this month. Do you want to talk about what we're doing for this month, or would you like me to? I feel like it's the perfect, like, uh, for lack of a better word, the the perfect equation for you and I. Because you and I, obviously, we do this podcast. We love movies. We also love sports. You, maybe a little bit more so than me, love sports. You coach high school sports. It's true. You participated in high school and college athletics, whereas I did not. Um, I did that one half season of wrestling, and then I was like, screw it. I'm going to go do drama. And that worked out fairly well for me. Absolutely. So you and I sat down, and we tried to figure out what the hell are we going to do. Well, listen, there's there's a huge void right now. Huge. Not, o- not only in, in movies. We can't yep. go to movies. Not only are the theaters not open. There's not really any new movies coming out. No. Other than, you know, I'm sure we'll get some Netflix and some direct-to-on-demand movies here, and and we're getting some of the movies that we missed in theaters early in the year that we're getting to watch. But again, a lot of a lot of the people that listen to this have seen those movies already, um, or are really not that interested in them. So right. But there's also a very big hole right now in the world, which is the lack of sports. There's no, of yeah, no sports. No one can do any sports right now. Uh, we can't play sports. Um, there's no sports on TV. You know, there's literally people trying to get into rewatching old sports games. That's what ESPN's airing. It's like last night uh, they aired a bunch of Monday night footballs. Yep. WrestleManias. 
you know, WrestleMania is is about is I think the most recent actual sporting event that we've gotten. They're getting um, they're actually getting you saw I'm sure you saw this, David. They're getting NBA players to play NBA 2K20 or yeah, 2K20. Yeah, it's in a tournament. The only game the Suns won. So how dare you? Two Suns, <laughs> two Suns drafted to that tournament. By the way, I know that shows you where they spend their time, not on the court <laughs> playing video games. Anyways, so we thought. How can we fill this void, not only of movies, but of sports? And so we came up with the idea of going back through some of our favorite sports movies. And, you know, there's tons of sports movies out there, and we have a lot of our favorites. And we didn't want to just pick our favorites. We wanted to also kind of fill the void of the sports that we're supposed to be having here. So if this was a normal year, which it's far from, we would have NHL playoffs starting pretty soon. We yep. have basketball playoffs starting pretty soon. And we would have just kicked off the baseball season, the yeah. 2020 baseball season. O- so opening day was supposed to be, as we are recording, it was supposed to be yesterday, March 30th. Uh, I think we're releasing this April 1st. So it's not an April Fool's joke. But yeah, and and what's nice, David, is that you and I kind of sat down and brainstormed our sports movie month. And, you know, we had talked about, well, you know, do we want to do the same sport? We want to do different sports. I actually think we found a way to tie this up pretty well with the sporting events that would have been happening. So as you said, opening day just happened, which means uh, it would have just happened, which means this episode. We're talking baseball. We'll get to the movie in a second. April 8th, next week, was when the NHL playoffs were going to start. So we'll be doing a hockey movie. April 15th is just before the NBA playoffs were going to start. So we'll do a basketball movie. And then April 22nd is the day before the NFL draft. So do a football movie. And then you can go on our Twitter page. We're going to put a poll up, and we're going to have that bad boy up until – the week before the podcast on you can vote which other sports movie that we're going to do. So we, we don't have, we're not going to spoil the, um, the movies that you can vote for yet, but look out for that on Twitter at the popcorn diet and you can vote for the last sports movie that we're going to cover. But David, this is our baseball episode. We want to, we just missed opening day. Baseball, obviously, us being in Arizona is a big deal. Is a is I didn't get to go into any spring training games. Um, that's that's one of the biggest. I mean, it this all happened literally right as spring training is supposed to be wrapping up. It's true. We and were, so we were getting into peak sports time where we get NHL playoffs, uh, NBA playoffs, we get MLB back up, we get the NFL draft. I mean, it's the peak, best peak sports time. It's the best for sports. And sadly, we didn't get to do it. And we thought about a lot of baseball movies to do. There are a lot of good baseball movies out there. I mean, one of our favorite movies is a baseball movie. Um, but we decided to go with, I think, the baseball movie that means the most to you and me. And I would argue is maybe one of the most influential baseball movies on modern day baseball in and of itself. So we went with the original 1989 comedy major league. 
how did you feel about just picking this movie? Because, like I said, there were there were some there were some tough decisions to make. It's true. We uh, we've we've made it very clear of our love of Moneyball over yes. the over the years. Um, we also, you know, there's the the childhood favorites like Angels in the Outfield with a lot of big names in it, um, right. which is fun to talk about. You've got the other kids ones like Rookie of the Year. Yep. Uh, Little, Little Big, Big League. League. Sandlot. A Sandlot. Big classic. Big classic. Um, and even I think for you and I, we're we're low key huge fans of of Major League Two, the uh, the sequel to Major League. When we get when it gets a little bit more screwball, even yeah. than this first one, and that's uh, almost the perfect like starting like sports comedy to show like kids our age because we were probably seven or eight when that movie came out, and it's PG. It's got a little bit of swearing. But Major League Two is is harmless. This made the first Major Leagues rated R. It is. So, yeah, yeah it's it's an important movie for us. It is. Um, and, I, and I and I think it's an important movie for for a lot of people too. I think it's kind of the the go to comparison when you get sports movies. Like Moneyball is obviously probably the most acclaimed baseball movie in the sense that you know obviously it was nominated for a number of Oscars, sure. um, including Best Picture. And it's, you know, gotten the most acclaim, but most people really think of that movie and they think of Brad Pitt and mm-hmm. Jonah Hill and the performances that they had. Um, right. While baseball is, you know, ingrained in that movie, you're not paying attention a ton to what's on the field as much as everything else that goes with it. Whereas right. Major League, really followed like a season of baseball and all the, the, you know, the goofiness that goes into that and all that kind of stuff. And, um, gave you a, a dark, almost a, you could call it a dark comedy only because it's rated R, but, um, more of just like <laughs> most of the people, when they think of sports movies, think of like family friendly comedies. They don't really think of R rated you know, comedies from that standpoint. So um, it, it's it's always fun to go back to. And, and obviously it's burned on a, a lot of different movies and um, came out in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just over, what, 30 years old now or 20, 30 years old now? Yeah, just, just over 30 years old. It came out. The other one I wanted to mention before we get too deep into it is Feel the Dreams came out this very same year. Yeah. 1989 low-key big year for baseball movies yeah yeah um but yeah it is i mean feel the dreams is probably again just like moneyball it's more respected but whereas moneyball is about the 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 office and the game the game yes of course the game yeah but it's about the office it's about you know um you know, solving this problem in the the uh, accounting books more than anything else, sure. and feel the dreams is is the idea of baseball. You know what the what the sport of baseball means. This one is our favorite type of sports movie, and it's just about a team overcoming the odds to win. Absolutely, like there's no even the worst baseball movies that have the you know Bad News Bears, Million Dollar Arm, The Rookie. Uh, any one of those, maybe not the fan with uh, Robert De Niro. Hardball? Maybe not that one. Hardball, The Natural, 
you know, they're all about playing to win the game. You play to win the game. And that just makes them more enjoyable. You know, that's just what makes this movie more enjoyable to me. But David, you were saying this movie came out in 1989. It did. Uh, It came out in 1989. And we'll talk through kind of the background of the movie and then we'll get into kind of the tale of the tape. But uh, it came out in 1989. Um, It was... Um, pretty well received, actually. Uh, it only was made for $11 million, which I think makes sense when you watch the movie. It doesn't seem like it would be a high-budget film. Sure. Um, made $50 million. Funny enough, only made $8.8 8 in its opening weekend, but then went on to make $50 million, and that's without going outside of the U.S. So it, it didn't get released outside of the U.S. It's just completely domestic. Okay. Uh, so for it to have those types of legs, you can tell that like people – People enjoyed it, and it, it shows in the reviews. It's eighty-three uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, and eighty-four percent from the audience. So this is not only is it, you know, a, an enjoyable movie that we both love coming back to. It is fun and, and funny, uh, but also is is a well put together movie that that in general was was pretty well received. Um, but it yeah. also involved. Uh, a lot of people that now looking back is just stacked, but uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you kind of talk about who are the people involved. Well, that was the funny thing is that like it, this cast is such an interesting cast for a number of reasons. Um, I would argue and David, maybe you, you would disagree with me, but I would argue that most of the people in this movie have now 30 years later sort of fallen out of relevancy. Sure. Um, I think it's to, fair. To, to various degrees. Wesley Snipes has probably fallen the least out of relevancy, and then probably um, Renee Russo, maybe. Yeah, Renee Charlie Russo, Sheen. probably Russo. But then, like everybody knows, Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert's got like a pass for life for being David Palmer on Twenty Four. But like Charlie Sheen has has had his fall from grace. Corbin Burnson was on. Uh, psych like he's he's around but not really Tom Berenger hasn't really had that resurgence of 80 stars like other people have like there's there's a lot of people involved here but what's funny is that even though they are not as relevant now this movie they were very relevant oh yeah everybody in this movie at some point in time was a big effing deal and this movie managed to grab a ton of them either just before their ascent or on their way up. So, like, for example, you take the two lead stars. You take Tom Berenger and you take Charlie Sheen. Tom Berenger had done a few movies before this, but he's the biggest star of the movie. He's the he's the lead. Um, but before this, he had done, you know, the big chill, Eddie and the Cruisers. And two years before this, did platoon with charlie sheen he won a golden globe award for best supporting actor he was nominated for best supporting actor at the academy awards charlie sheen this was like again young 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 popular charlie sheen and what's funny is that our generation and and probably people younger than us um a little bit only know charlie sheen as two and a half men Tiger blood going crazy, doing wacky shit. Right. But he was on for the longest time. He was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. 
And it was because he was able to do comedy. He was able to do serious movies. He goes from Platoon to Wall Street to Young Guns to Major League. Like, that's a really interesting career trajectory. He also had Eight Men Out, Eight Men Out in there, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in there, mm-hmm. Red Dawn, which was one of his first movies. So these two guys are are on the career path to where they are popular, right? Then you got Corbin Burnson, who kind of leads out the main trilogy, if you will. And he was a big TV star. He was on L.A. Law for like eight years. Uh, he came off an Emmy nomination into this movie. And then you got guys like Wesley Snipes, Dennis Haysbert, guys who would – Snipes obviously just strapped a rocket to his ass and just launched into New Jack City and Passenger 57 and all that stuff after this movie. But Dennis Haysbert became a big deal for, uh, you know, for 24, as we had mentioned. Um, So really a hell of a cast. Almost all of them at the beginning of their lives uh, or careers, excuse me, not lives, (laughs) but careers, right? And then I think the most fascinating part of this is David Ward. Uh, David S. Ward was the writer and director of this movie. And I had known coming in before I did any research at all that he was a Cleveland guy. And that's why he wanted to make this movie is because he thought it was the only way he could get to see the Indians win anything. (laughs) But what I found out doing research is that beyond being a Stone Cold Cleveland Indians fan, he is just as big of a deal in Hollywood. He wrote The Sting, which won Best Original Screenplay. He co-wrote Sleepless in Seattle after this movie with Nora Ephron. David S. Ward was a big, big deal in Hollywood. And now he's, you know, he's doing his thing. He's teaching and whatever. You know, he tried to sell a script after Heaven's Gate came out. That was a Western. And nobody liked Westerns after Heaven's Gate. So again, really interesting cast and group of people that were brought together for 11 million dollars and i think you see a lot of the talent on screen i also find it funny that you see it's kind of like one of the things it reminded me of before we get into the actual movie itself is it kind of reminded me of the first avengers movie in a weird way not not i'll I'll explain (laughs) um the thing that i couldn't figure out as they were making the marvel movies 2008 2009 2010 was like how are they going to take all of these characters who are their own leading stars and put them in all one movie. Like what's the pecking order going to look like? And that's the thing I find fascinating with this movie is you have all of these guys who are leading stars in their respective careers and to see them like to see Wesley Snipes of all people like doing funny sequences, playing third fiddle to some of these actors is really entertaining and it's really interesting. If for no other reason that you've never seen, you've never seen it before and you hardly have ever seen it again. Yeah. So that's what I like about it. But, but beyond that, let's talk about the movie. Let's go to the tail of the tape. Let's break this down. What this movie is actually about all that type of stuff for those uh, major league. I think it would behoove us, David, to mention that major league uh, is available via the AMC app. Yeah, right now it's on the AMC app, or if so, you've got, uh, like, I have Cox in 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 Phoenix, and okay, you can do it on. De- you can uh, watch it on demand, and actually, for an on-demand movie from one of the networks, it has very few commercials, which is nice. That's always so nice. You can watch it on there, or I believe uh, 
it's on most of the streaming platforms for like two ninety nine if you want to rent it. Yeah, but, I rented it for three four bucks. Yeah. So, so if, if you want to check uh, it out, you should. It's 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 worth it. But I want to set the uh, I want to set the stage for us. So all right, um, with all of our sports movies, we we got to get everybody kind of into the into the mode, into the uh, into the history where this is all taking place, kind of the setting and, and everything that's going on. So uh, Major League takes place in the 1988 baseball season. So we mentioned this comes out in '89. Uh, so pretty much present day when it came out. Uh, Indians hadn't won the pennant. Um, in over 30 years, hadn't finished better than fourth in, in the last 15 years. So struggling franchise, uh, to say the least. Um, yeah, no kidding. Obviously, as we've mentioned, we're following the Indians um, of, of Major League Baseball. The Cleveland Indians, freaking Cleveland. And, and obviously with, with any baseball uh, team, there's not really a single opponent. I would argue that their rival in this movie would be the Yankees. Um, they face them right at the beginning of the movie, and then they obviously square off against them at the end of the movie. Their um, on-field you, rival. Exactly. But their off-field rival would be the new owner. Um, Rachel Phelps. Rachel Phelps. Former is, showgirl. Former showgirl who apparently married the late Indians owner who passed yep. away right before this movie. And she takes over and has no desire to stay in the city of Cleveland. So she tries to sabotage the team, um, drops their best two players, leave to free agency. She cuts a bunch of players and signs a bunch of nobodies, has-beens, and never-heard-ofs before in, in effort to make the team so bad that no one shows up for the games and the attendance drops below the threshold that the MLB apparently has set for her to be able to relocate the team. So apparently there's a rule that if attendance drops, or at least there was for the Indians in this movie, that if the attendance dropped to below, I believe it was like 15,000 a game, which sounds like a lot. Um, it's, it's something like 800,000 for the season. Yeah. Which averages out to like 15,000 a game, I think yeah. or something like that. So Regardless, whatever the number is, she's trying to sabotage it so it gets so low that she can move it them to Miami, where she claims the city of Miami has offered her a stadium deal. This obviously dates it to uh, pre Miami Marlins, which which yep. tracks because uh, or in the in the '90s we get the expansion team, the Miami Marlins that uh -huh. comes out. Um, so at this time there hadn't been a team, but um, that's kind of the setting of 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 who we've got, but um, we also want to talk through the players. So you want to lead us off, Rick, talking about who are the players on this team? I do. I do find it funny that Rachel Phelps's strategy is essentially also the strategy of Moneyball, but with different motivations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one is, is one is, is trying to find all the cast-offs because <laughs> they are cast-offs and not good, and the other is trying to find cast-offs because they see value that other teams they do not. see value absolutely absolutely all right let's go through the players here let's check these out so we got now you, and this is one of my other favorite things about sports movies david is that major league is probably oh man out of all the sports movies that are out there team-based sports movies okay 
I would argue that major league is probably the worst at showing the entire team. It's not good at it because there's random first baseman. And (laughs) we're pretty much set at, you know, five to six players that you right regularly. And I don't know. I didn't study it close enough to see whether they even maintain consistency. I'm sure they do. It's a movie. And why would you pay different people to play first base or shortstop or things? But, um, they don't introduce you. They don't talk about their names. They're involved in some of the, uh, the group locker room scenes and uh-huh. celebrations and that kind of stuff. But um, we really only follow six, six players and, and then obviously the owner, the GM and uh, a couple of the coaches are pretty much the only people we, we meet in scenes. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, David Ward actually filled, if you look at like, if you listen to um, Harry Doyle's announcements and if you look at the, jerseys and stuff like that apparently david ward filled the rest of the roster with quote-unquote players from previous indians like uh, seasons like from the 1940s there's okay. ref there's references and stuff like that that's how big of a indians guy david ward was but let's break down the roster all right let's go through let's go through this calling card if you will of roster players starting with with pretty much the team team captain you know jake taylor former all-star catcher. He was an all-star in Boston. Um, and he has since fallen from grace, if you will. He, uh, he's been spending the last few years in the Mexican baseball league. His knees are shot. Like that's the biggest issue of his career right now, but he's the guy you want. Uh, he's the guy you want in the clubhouse. He's your Jared Dudley. You know, he's your veteran guy who keeps the team together who has the experience solid hitter. He's a, he's a field general. He, he runs the entire command of the field and whatnot. Um, good, good mentor to the, the young guys. You've got a couple rookies on the team and, and we'll talk about each of them, but in uh, Willie Mays Hayes and, and Ricky Vaughn and, and really takes them under his wing um, yeah. hitting and, and does a lot of, uh, you know, good things that you would expect from your leaders. That's a so- and that's a solid veteran to have on the team. Not not only that, but to, you know his his sort of major contribution to the team is he beat out the bunt that won the division title. Yeah, like it, that's that's his bunt. That's like um, that's like Luis Gonzalez hitting the the bloop the bloop uh, single over over the infield in the two thousand one World Series. Like nobody remembers that Jay Bell actually scored that winning run. I, I mean, people remember, but. It was Luis Gonzalez who got the the fame for hitting that pitch, and that's where Jake gets. Now, you mentioned a really good point, which is Jake Taylor is a solid mentor. Another veteran on the team who is not a solid mentor is Roger Dorn, played by Corbin Bernson. Decent hitter, garbage defender, not not a team guy in the slightest. He he doesn't want to – he took – now, admittedly, according to him, he says he took a grounder to the face and he doesn't want to do that again. And I wouldn't want to take a grounder to the face either. He's, he's thinking about his career off the field. He know? is. He's got at a, some point he's going to stop playing and he, uh, he's thinking about, you know, the movie deals and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So. I mean, they didn't have the, the five, six, seven, eight panel, you know, MLB shows that they do now, but I could absolutely see Roger Dorn being an analyst like a Absolutely. thousand percent well and and spoiler alert he kind of moves into a uh, 
a coaching position in uh, in the next movie. He's the that. owner. Yeah, he's the yeah. owner, and then becomes the GM. Which, yep. I don't know of any player, and I could be wrong because I think I didn't. Doesn't Derek Jeter own part of a baseball team? Doesn't he own uh, part the of the Marlins. Marlins? Yeah. Yep. So I guess I guess Jeter. He he was like the prototype Jeter, <laughs> if you I, will. I will say for all that we bash on on Roger Dorn for being selfish in that. Charlie Sheen does bang his his wife, and he puts it aside for the sake of the team. He does in the big moment and encourages Ricky Vaughn, and, and uh, then he gets his punt, and then he gets his shot in. Yeah, sure, he takes the punch. It's it's all fair, you know. It's all well, and and to play devil's advocate, Roger Dorn was also caught by his wife on live television canoodling with some other tough look. Tough look, Tough look for, for your guy, Raj. Yes. <laughs> it's not what you want. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, let's round out some of the veterans here. Uh, I think the last veteran we have is Eddie Harris, true. the aging starting pitcher, the old the Nolan Ryan, if you will. And this guy, Eddie Harris, played by actual. So here's a fun fact about Eddie Harris is he plays, he's played by Chelsea Ross. And Chelsea Ross has been in a bunch of sports movies. He was coaching Rudy. Um, and he was in a basketball movie who's that I can't remember off the top of my head because I'm terrible and a poor researcher. But Chelsea Ross, even though he's an old crabby bastard in this movie, was actually a three sport athlete in college, in high school and college as well. So that's a fun fact about the, the actor who played Eddie Harris. But Eddie's the crafty veteran. He's going to do what it takes to get an edge. He doesn't have the speed anymore. He might not have the command anymore. So he's doing snot. He's doing Vaseline. He's doing Vagisil. Um, whatever he can put, whatever he can use to put stank on the uh, extra pitches, he's going to do it. And credit where credit's due, he's the, he's the anchor of the lineup. You know, he's the one out there. I think they went, uh, they go with him in, in the in the big, uh, game. In the big yeah. game, the game yeah. to win the division. He's the starting pitcher and carries it for most of the game. So yeah, he makes it. I, I think he uh comes out in the in the eighth inning, I think is when he comes out. He makes it all the way to the eighth. I think he's I think they say he had a seven hitter going. Yeah. Only had given up two runs. So definitely a, a solid outing in a in a big moment for him. So. Yeah, he definitely has has a lot to be proud of there. Um and now we got the rookies. And the yes. rookies, we've yeah. got we oh. got wild thing. It's got to start with wild thing. It's right? got to start with wild thing. So hard throwing right handed pitcher, primarily a starter, but definitely uh, definitely has some control issues. Yeah, so, uh, spend some time kind of working things out in relief a little bit. Um, we do find out though that maybe that command is partly due to the fact that he can't see. So they get him some glasses. Same command. Command seems to come along, but as a, uh, as a glasses wearer, it it's important. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, it's important to be able to see where you're throwing. So, um, I would say the other knock on on Ricky Vaughn might be that he's also a felon. Um, Not great. Uh, playing as he put it in the beginning of the movie in the I think it was the Florida penal system, the Maybe California penal California league. penal penal league. Yes. And uh, how'd you get there? Stole a car, stole a car. Yeah. So, you know, nothing too serious. Just some Grand Theft Auto, a small Grand Theft Auto. You know, who who of us has not exactly dabbled? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know that you could classify him as a 
a great teammate. Um, seems He's to rough. Be, seems to be liked by some of them. Him and uh, him and old Raj don't quite get along. They like to uh, get into it a little bit. But overall, obviously, for all his struggles throughout the year, it would be expected for a rookie, hard-throwing rookie. Um, obviously, comes up in the big moment uh, there at the end of the end of the game, end of the season. So, um, big part of their uh, their future, and and definitely someone that, that you know he's thrown in the upper nineties. Which, again, today everybody seems to throw in the upper nineties. Sure. Back in the eighties, you know, early nineties, there wasn't a lot of guys that were consistently throwing high nineties. So uh, this would definitely be type of player that could be an ace for a staff. This was also before the time where we had, you know, games where you had, you, you, you didn't have specialty pitchers back then. You didn't have a game where you saw a team cycle through four or five pitchers. It was a starter and a reliever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of middle relievers happening. No, no, not a lot. So um, other rookies we got, we got Willie Mays Hayes who, shows up and and no one really knows where he came from or where he's played or what his background is. Uh, um, we, we obviously see the fun moment in training camp, which we'll take a real quick pause side tour on here. I didn't do any research. I, I assume because everything else in this movie is, is fairly accurate that maybe this was the actual case, but I can't really see major league baseball players today sleeping in a bunkhouse. Like, no, I had this thought as well. And I wanted to ask you about that. Cause you do know sports a little bit more than I do, but it's not like freaking summer camp. Yeah. I mean the, the spring training, which they get it right. Uh, is in, is in Arizona. Yeah. Um, and I believe at the time the Indians were in Tucson, I think they're now, uh, not in Tucson. I think they're up in Phoenix now. Right. Um, but outside of that, I believe it's correct from that standpoint. But we'll uh, maybe maybe we can do some research before we're done and uh, and figure out whether uh, they were in bunkhouses. I'd find that really hard to believe that your major league team. I could see that maybe happening with like a minor league team, but uh, right majors even for the late '80s that seems. Uh, Seems a little extreme, but uh, I, I, it, I have my doubts. It yes. probably fit the uh, some of the comedy that they were going for. Um, so that might have been one thing they kind of bent the uh, realistic aspect of this movie for. But regardless, getting back to Willie Mays Hayes, uh, what was the phrase? Runs like runs, runs like Mays, hits like Hayes. I believe that was the case. So. Um, Gets taken out, kicked out of camp, but uh, shows shows off in a in a sprint drill and, yep. and barefoot. They get, they get a yeah barefoot. Um, gets a uniform, gets a chance. Um, he uh, he thinks he's a power hitter, and we see in the the next movie that he continues to pursue that dream when he comes back the next season. But um, wants to get under the ball, wants to hit home runs, but doesn't really have any sense of power. Um, but is if there's one thing he is, he's he's fast, and he's uh, fast. He's the leadoff man. So uh, once he uh, learns to kind of put the ball on the ground and and just try and get on base, um, he's he's someone that can change a game with his speed. Um, going for a hundred bases, I don't know that he gets to a hundred in this season. Um, 
He sets, he leads the league. I don't know if he gets to 100 either, but he does lead the, lead the league in stolen bases for the year. We find out in the sequel. Yeah. So he's definitely a game changer from that standpoint. Um, but he comes up with, uh, gets on base, steals some, some important bases, but he's also a very good outfielder. Uh, makes some big catches in, in, down the stretch in their games, as well as a, a big catch robbing a home run in, in, the, uh, in the decisive game at the end of the season. So uh, Willie Mays Hayes, definitely a, uh, a big-time rookie. And, again, we don't know where he came from, but uh, big, good, good player, a lot of potential. There has been one player, David, that has stolen 100 bases in Major League Baseball. He did it three times. And that's Ricky Harrison or Henderson, Ricky Henderson, Henderson yep. of the Oakland A's. Nobody's even sniffed it. The next person, like Ty Cobb had 96 in 1915. So settled down. Yeah. But the next closest person in modern day baseball was Willie Wilson in 1979 for the Royals. And he only had 83. Yeah. So that's nuts. He's got, like I said, big, big time speed, game changing speed. Um, and last, but certainly not least, I don't think he's a rookie. Um, no, but they get him from Cuba, but he get, they get him from Cuba. Um, he defected, he defected on grounds of religious freedom or religious persecution. That's right. The, uh, the voodoo right fielder, Mr. Pedro Serrano. Um, he's a player who absolutely crushes fastballs. Um, like you can't keep them in the park, crushes them. That being said, struggles a bit with the off-speed pitches, which is probably why he wasn't picked up by other teams. Uh, cannot hit off-speed pitches. So curveballs, sliders, change-ups, not hitting them. Um, does come up with a big hit on a, on a curveball in the, in the, the uh, pennant-deciding game. Uh-huh. Uh, good in the clubhouse, as long as you don't mess with Joe Boo, his, uh, his voodoo friend. Oh, my God, Joe Boo. Um, I believe he uh, he requests a live chicken at one point for a sacrifice. For a sacrifice, yes, yeah. and they get him KFC just in case. Yep, and uh, him and uh, Ed Harris, the religious Ed Harris, the starter that we talked about earlier, uh-huh. uh, seem to get into it a little bit. But uh, Ed Harris seems to come around to the voodoo magic because uh, as he warms up for the decisive game, he's warming up next to Jobu. So uh, they bury the hatchet, no pun intended. I think probably my favorite line is from Eddie Harris when he's like, are you saying Jesus Christ couldn't hit a curveball? Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just phenomenal. It's it's tremendous. It's some hilarious. Of, some of the funniest moments in this movie are between uh, Pedro Serrano and, and Eddie Harris. They are. So, uh, but has a fantastic year. Finishes in the top five in homers, RBIs, slugging percentage, and total baldness. And so, that's not uh, easy to do. No. Not that's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's the roster. Like we said, obviously there's a lot more players on the team as baseball requires much more than six players. But uh, these are the ones that we really get to follow throughout the season. 
What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. Who's your MVP on this team? So when we say MVP, we are talk- we're not talking about actor. We're not talking about who's the funniest guy. We're switching it up a little bit. And we're talking about in the in the movie that is shown to us, in the sporting events that are shown to us, who is the actual most valuable player on this team amongst this group of misfits who actually produces the most on field and helps them win, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So I'm going to go with – now, Jake Taylor certainly an interesting argument, especially for being a clubhouse guy. But clubhouse guys don't win MVPs, even though they should, even though they they might be the true genuine MVP. Don't nobody give a clubhouse guy MVP. They give an MVP to somebody like Pedro Serrano. You don't finish top five in homers, RBIs and slugging percentage and don't get at least a few ballots for MVP. So I'm going to go with Pedro Serrano. I think. Uh, I think you channeled a little bit of the Bears in in the that Bears. I, maybe I did. I don't know. You, it's been a uh, weird you, couple of weeks. You started going all uh, all Midwestern, going back to your roots. Then. Going back to my my Wisconsin roots, possibly. Exactly. Um, it's true. Jake Taylor's probably out of the running. I mean, he's probably a guy who hits in the the mid two hundreds, probably like two fifty to two seventy, right. solid for a catcher. You know plays solid defense especially down the stretch he seems to be coming around the knees seem to be holding up a little bit um and again if you asked his teammates they might vote him the mvp but mvp is not decided on by the teammates um ricky vaughn could be in the conversation because of how dominant he can be but he gets rocked in the beginning of the season and it's bad just a liability early on and so you got to imagine, even with a strong finish to the season, his ERA and WHIP and all of that are are far too high for him to be in conversation. Roger Dorn, defense is just not good enough. Defense you know? isn't flashy. It's yeah. It's, well, and 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 it, it, you got to have a full game. Yeah, and and so for me, it really comes down to two players on this team. It's either Willie Mays Hayes or Pedro Serrano. Uh, as you mentioned, Pedro's got the power stats. I think Willie Mays, you know, has that that elite speed and and those stats. You know, he's leading the league in in steals. Um, plus, I think his great defense and he comes up clutch down the stretch with uh, you know getting on base. I got to imagine we don't we don't know how many runs he scored, but I got to imagine he's towards the top in in runs scored as well. So he's got to be. Um, 
I'm going. I'm going to go against you a little bit here. I'm going with Willie Mays Hayes, but uh, okay, you know, you could, you can't really go wrong with either vote. It's uh, both deserving candidates. I'll take it. I accept it. So, um, well, we're also doing an award in these movies for who's that sixth man or woman uh, in this movie, and and obviously in baseball, there's much more than six players on the field. We get nine <laughs> on the field. Um, in football, we've got you know eleven. I think it's eleven. It's eleven. I think yeah. it's 11 uh, on the field. You can't have 12 men on the field. Soccer, we've got, you know, quite a few on the field However as well. Many, so, I don't watch soccer. Uh, hockey, you've got six on the on the, on the the ice. So, you know, obviously when we use six man, we're, we're kind of using the basketball reference from that standpoint. But for, for the purpose of these podcasts, our six man award is going to someone who's not maybe in the forefront, but, uh, you know, is that supporting character that comes through big uh, in a big moment or for the team. So um, I think there's a number of different nominations. Um, I don't think you could go Jake or, or Ricky Vaughn, but uh, I think you uh, could be Roger Dorn um, comes up big and gets a big hit um, to start the rally. It's true. He does get the hit. I would, I, this is where, see, this is where I would probably say like, I, it's between me. It's between Taylor and Willie Mace. You know, I'm I'm gonna throw out another candidate here. I'm gonna throw out Eddie Harris. I mean, he goes. I I just looked it up. He goes to the ninth in the decisive game. He does, and that's what I like about this movie. Um, is this movie? You know, a lot of a lot of these sports movies, it's like we got to score the goal or we got to do this. We got to do. There's 20 seconds left on the clock. This movie manages to show that the victory belongs to everybody. Everybody has a spot in the victory. So Eddie Harris takes him to the ninth and they bring Ricky Vaughn in to, to close out Haywood and knock him down with three straight fastballs. Right. But they still have to score. And so that means offense is involved. That means Willie Mays. That means Jake Taylor. That means Taylor's pointing out and stuff like that. And so I love how they have, they managed to show the whole team in a way that oftentimes baseball is difficult to do because despite the fact that you're on a team, baseball is very much about individual plays. Sure. Um, I think I'm going to go. I think I go with Jake Taylor simply because he won the game. Like yeah. he, like if you have to boil it down to the final play, it's his hit. It's his, it's his little bloop bunt. And with all the chicanery that he does, that gives him the victory. So I'm going Jake Taylor on that one. Well, and and credit to Jake, you know, he, you've got the hot headed reliever from, from the Yankees, the Duke, the Duke who comes in and Jake, Jake, Jake knows that he's not up. He's not going to be able to hit this guy. And so he plays the mental game, gets him, does, does a, one of the low key, very realistic, parts of this movie is the fact that him pointing over the fence, which is obviously for those of you that don't know from Babe Ruth, as well as from Sandlot uh-huh. um, calling the shot. I think if you did that, even in present day baseball, you'd piss off whoever was on the mound and they'd oh, probably yeah. throw one or two in close on you. Yeah. And so definitely takes them off his game. It's a you know, veteran people, savvy move. Gets people backing up, thinking he's swinging for the fences, and then he, you know, lays down the bunt and um, 
and and beats it out. You know, something unexpected from a very slow catcher with bad knees. So I like that they uh, cut to the the Yankees uh, infielder and show him like he's like, oh no, like he they show he gets caught. It's all strategy. So yeah, I'm going Taylor. What about you? I think you got to go Taylor. Uh, I I could make a case for Eddie Harris and and the performance he did getting them into the ninth. Um, big, big pitching game, especially since I would venture to say he was pitching on short rest because they said that it was a wild thing. Rick Vaughn's uh, turn in the rotation, uh-huh. um, but they were going to go with Eddie Harris because he was the savvy vet. Um, so pitching on short rest and to get all the way to the ninth is a, is a big time performance, but you know, at the end of the day, the thing that's remembered is, is the, the game winning run. So uh, I it's think the hit, I think the recency bias for voters would, would give it to, to, to Jake Taylor. So, yeah, I mean, um, us being Arizona guys, obviously we're going to reference a lot of Arizona sports. If you're an Arizona listener, shouts out to you guys, but to me, it's like game seven of the world series. Now, granted, they just won the division title in this movie, but game seven of the world series, you had, who, who did you have? You had Schilling pitching and Johnson coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. Was it the other way around? Schilling and then Johnson. So, and that's amazing. And that's something that people do talk about, but that doesn't get put in the sports clips. It's the bloop. It's the bloop single that wins the game that gets put into the, into the clips. And that's what is Jake Taylor's going to be there. It's going to be all time, you know, great game winner hits or whatever. It's that little, it's that little bunt, that little tap. Absolutely. So most of the movies that we watch, not all of them, but, but most of the sports movies that we watch, they, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Embellish a little bit, maybe, you know, especially comedies, which a lot of the movies that we're going to be doing are comedies. They they like to dramatize things. They like to, you know, make things a little bit more dramatic than than maybe they could be. Case in point, we're doing the franchise refills on the Fast and the Furious franchise on our Patreon right now. And there are moments where even for them, the street racing is just sadly not as realistic as real street racing is. So one of the things, David, that you wanted to do is you wanted to compare an actual kind of like not compare, but kind of look at the gameplay of the film and kind of judge whether or not it actually holds up to the sport because some of them, some of them don't like when we talk, when we talk about the mighty ducks, there's going to be a lot of tomfoolery happening with the mighty ducks. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that the flying V or the knuckle puck would actually be very effective or even having players change numbers. And uh, I also and, is that impersonate the goalie. Is that, that not so illegal? It's it's you know, I haven't done my research, but I feel pretty confident saying that it's illegal. So we will, we will get to the Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks are time. on the list. So we don't want to spoil uh, no. spoil Mighty Ducks. So uh, but yeah, but this, so it's we're, we're talking about sports and we're talking about filling a void. So I think it's important for us to talk about the actual baseball that we get in this film to talk about how realistic is it. And I think this is a, this is a movie that actually holds up pretty well. You know, it's not like we have any underhand pitches like little big league. Um, You know, we don't have like in major league two where we've get 
Tanaka standing, uh, going up into the, right. uh, into the stands and catching a, a baseball, you know, right. there's no angels in the outfields helping guys make crazy catches or anything like that. <laughs> uh, shout out to Tony Danza. But, uh, in this movie, most of the gameplay, there's nothing that really stood out to me as being un, unrealistic. Um, I think, you know, maybe there's two things that would be in the in the running there. Um, yeah, I think the final bunt play, I could people, I could see people chatting about and being like, "That would never happen." Like Willie Mays Hayes is on second. Taylor lays down the bunt. Right. You know, whether he beats it out, people beat it out when things are unexpected, but Hayes to score from second might be seen as unrealistic. But I think this movie kind of does its, you know, duty in showing the cocky first baseman, the big power hitter for the Clue, Clue Hayward. Clue Hayward. Hayward. Um, kind of looks away, like not believing that Taylor actually beat out the throw. So he gets a little bit distracted for a split second and, and Willie Mays Hayes is running from the beginning. You see the third base coach waving him around yeah, before the ball even gets to, to, to third base. And so it's more of a, a, a good job by the film showing the first baseman not being uh, dialed into the game and, and messing that up. And so um, I think that one's actually fairly realistic and something that you've probably seen in a baseball game. Oh, um, sure. But if there was one thing that you could say was unrealistic, I think it's Pedro running the bases after his home run in that game. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say he holds on to the bat and with, with modern day baseball, we're getting younger players and younger players are a little bit more flashy and you're starting to see more frequently the unwritten rules of baseball getting broken, you know, with bat flips and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure sports Twitter would blow its stack if a player actually ran around with his bat in his hand. Maybe it's happened. I don't think it's happened. I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened. But that's probably, you're right, that's probably the most unrealistic thing that I can think of. Other than, the only other unrealistic thing I can think of, and I haven't, I didn't do my research either. I don't know what the league minimum was for an MLB baseball player, but this is not sports related, but Jake Taylor showing up to the party where he thinks Renee Russo lives, but it's not, it's her fiance. And then getting like big league by these banker dipshits. Like you're a professional baseball player. I, I don't know what the league minimum is, but it just, I felt it funny the way that the movie's like, Oh, he's down. He's, rough and he's not as successful as these guys and maybe that's because the baseball profession well, back in 1989 was a little bit different than it is now let me didn't tell have you a lot of career I actually, options i actually have that research okay in, okay in 1988 the league minimum was uh $62,500 okay um, so it was raised i think at the end of that year to 68,000 or or right around that um so it was uh, it was raised right around that time. It might have been going into the 88 season, actually, that um, what did you say? 62, five, And uh, that was up until 67. So that year, the movie takes place in 88. Uh, it was raised to 68,000 a year. So okay. um, if he is making the league minimum, then 
yeah, some bankers might be able to big time them. I mean, sixty-eight thousand is more back in eighty-eight than that's it is a that's a hundred and fifty thousand dollars today. Yeah, so nothing to sniff at from for guys like you and me, maybe. No, nothing to sniff at, but at the same time, like you could, it's not unrealistic to think that maybe these bankers are are out are out earning him, and they also play it up a little bit more by the sense that him and uh, Ricky Vaughn are uh, are sharing a house. That's true. They're <laughs> all sharing, I think they're, aren't they sharing all an apartment? Is it just them, or was no? Because Willie Mays isn't living that. The living situations in this movie are the one thing that I don't <laughs> I don't think were that thought of. Um, no, they uh, they they definitely set up the living situations to fit a narrative. I think so. If Pedro's the best uh, or the most quote unquote unrealistic play, what's the best play? What's the play that shows up on the on the top ten on Sports Center? I think there's a uh, a number of nominees for this. I think uh, I think first and foremost, uh, if we're even if we're just talking the the final game here, sure. I think you get the the Hayes catch um to great catch climbs the wall it. I think also Sports Center is a savvy enough show that it would know like I can picture it already they would be they'd be playing up the whole fact that like Pedro Serrano is like oh for 496 against curveballs. Right. Like he's swung and missed on literally every curveball he's faced all season long. Right. Until the I think it was the seventh inning or or sixth inning, and he crushes he one, crushes a curveball out of the park um, to tie the ball game. So uh, obviously a clutch hit, and you know obviously having the backstory of him hitting the curveball. Um, I think you also then obviously have the final play in which uh, Jake beats out the throw. All of it. All of it with the pointing and everything. Oh, yeah. There's no way the point. They would make the point of the bat the number one top play on SportsCenter. For sure. For sure. Like, Uh, (laughs) I think you also add in there, if if you're also taking from that game, um, Rick Vaughn facing a player who's just annihilated him every time he's faced him. Has his number. And strikes him out on three straight pitches uh to to keep the game tied at two that's good moment too i i agree because again and we're looking at sports center underneath the modern kind of lens of it and under the modern lens like sports center has got gotten really good at telling those stories so while they do occasionally show you know some crazy random play those stories matter too. So the idea of Rick Vaughn uh, striking out Hayward or Haywood, excuse me, um, is would be, that would be talked about. It'd be like, this guy crushes Ricky Vaughn and he put him down with three pitches. That's phenomenal. So what would you pick as the sports center top play? Man, you know, there's the realist in me and what was the most difficult uh play which i would say the the robbing of the home run and i feel like in baseball season every night like anytime someone robs someone of a home run that's the sports center top play yeah um that being said given that it wins the uh wins the pennant for the indians and also uh 
kind of the the showmanships that Jake Taylor shows with the pointing and all of that. Uh-huh. I, I think you got to go with the the final play. Um, I agree. I, I don't think you can can go anywhere else. I'm gonna agree with you on that one as well. Uh, one of the funny things about sports movies is that they don't always show like the full games. Sometimes a sports movie is just training, training, training for one big game like Mystery Alaska or like The Longest Yard. Sometimes it's a it's a look at the entire season like this movie or The Mighty Ducks or or what have you. Um, so out of these types of movies, we wanted to pick up the best game that we saw in the in the movie itself. And David, there's really only two games that you see kind of in in detail. There's a lot of montages. Yeah, I, I think you get it's almost like two and a half. You also get the uh the game that gives them the chance to go sure uh, to tie the Yankees because you get the whole also we 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 would be remiss not to mention um our manager here who comes straight out of the uh the tire shop and <laughs> and the miners into managing a major league team and has a great rapport with the the players has his rough goes you know he's making him he's an old school manager making willie mays hayes do uh push-ups push-up, he pops up the ball uh-huh. he's uh you know drops trow and and pays on roger doran's contract but so good to his credit he knows how to manage some egos i mean he's great lou talk, brown is an excellent addition talk about you know a tough locker room to manage you got a felon you got a voodoo you got the diva player. You've got the, you know, the the old school Christian yep. pitcher. You know, you've got quite a few different personalities in a in a volatile locker room, and he finds a way to motivate them. And and probably his best move as a manager was, you know, after finding out kind of the uh, the plan that uh, Rachel Phelps has for the team goes and uh gets the cardboard cutout of the sugar cardboard cutout and says we got to win 32 games and for each game we win we pull off a piece of the clothing i mean talk about an inventive way to uh to motivate the guys and rally them together does a phenomenal job in that moment it's the perfect 1989 way of motivating a team (laughs) in an r-rated comedy probably probably wouldn't fly nowadays there's plenty of things that are not uh, yes, probably PC for now in, in including how heavy the, uh, the Cleveland Indian, uh, just everything that goes with their mascot just, in this movie, yeah. whether the, it be the funny thing is that the Bob Indian Uchers, still exists, whether it be Bob Euchre's, uh, little catchphrases and, <laughs> you know, whether it be the newspaper articles about the Indians being on the war path, like right. it's, it's a lot of it doesn't age very well. Um, that being said, there are still the Indians, even though they have officially retired the, uh, the Indian uh, logo, they are still named the Indians, at least for the time being, but that could obviously change here soon as well. That's very true. That's very true. So let's wrap this up, David. You know, the reason that we picked the movies that we pick is because we feel not only do we love them, we love, we love major league major leagues, one of my favorite sports. Players. Wait, we 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 forgot to. to what pick did we the forget? Game. 
Oh, we didn't pick a game. My my rambling threw you off, and you that's forgot true. That we we talked about Lou. We talked about Lou Brown, and I forgot we didn't. Pick I took a game. us down a rabbit hole. I don't think there's any debating. I mean, well, I, I guess maybe there is debating. You have either the comedy route of the first game, right? With how comically bad they are. Very and bad. It does a good job of highlighting everything from Roger Jordan's terrible defense, Charlie Sheen or uh, Ricky Vaughn's inability to hit the catcher's mitt (laughs) and sets a record for hits Batman. Uh, Jake Taylor, unable to move with his knees. Willie Mays Hayes popping up baseballs, Pedro Serrano, not hitting curveballs. Like we highlight all their deficiencies in the first game. And it's, it's good for a, it's good for a good laugh. Um, But uh, then you get the, the other side of it where we have the magical moments of, of the team coming through in the clutch. So which for you are you picking? So we, and we talked about this before we recorded, I'm actually going to pick the first game. The second game has the cathartic, you know, win and stuff like that. But I do think I find the music choice when they win the game to be an odd music choice (laughs) because they go to this low key kind of somber, slow song when you want that, like, bah, 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 you know, you want the, the victory trumpets. Now, I think it makes sense if as Jake Taylor as a main character, he's old, he's aging out of the game. This is kind of like bittersweet in that, you know, we're, we're finally making it. We sacrifice so much, whatever. I just don't think that the opening and closing songs of this movie, and I'm not going to get down this rabbit hole, David, but the movie opens with a Randy Newman song, and I was upset. I was going to say, I think you're just holding against this movie that they chose Randy Newman for the opening It just song. is weird for this movie to be bookended by those two songs. It just is. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with the first. I'm going to go with the first game, uh, the first major uh, uh, regular season game when they get absolutely just jack stomped in their garbage. That's what I'm going with. What about you? This this may surprise you, but I'm actually going to agree. But for a slightly different reason. Oh, it does. Okay. Um, I uh, I do not have anything against the music. I am not a. <laughs> I do not have a uh, hatred for Randy Newman like yourself. That's fine. Um, but I'm going to say the first game because when I think about what I loved about the major league movies, it's the lovable losers. It's. Uh-huh. Um, what makes you laugh and what makes you enjoy um, these movies, which is not how great they are. Um, it's how bad they are. And to see them come along and, and join together as a team and overcome the obstacles. And the first game, you know, has all the funny things that we love to laugh about the movie. Um, and so that's why I think the, the first game is the, the more rewatchable one for me. Um, or the one that I come back to and enjoy the most. Well, good. I'm glad we've come to an agreement on this one. I, and I think you're right. The lovable losers thing certainly has a big, big part of why this movie's so good. I think to wrap it up, we picked this movie because it's one of our favorite movies, but we're also talking about these movies. Like we wouldn't have picked, there's a reason we didn't pick major league two. There's even though major league two probably holds a closer place in our hearts. And there's certainly a reason why I didn't even talk about Major League Back to the Minors. And that's because this movie, I feel, belongs in the Hall of Fame. All right. 
And I wanted to talk about now, I think you had a different idea for the Hall of Fame. I wanted to talk about the legacy that this movie put on for like watchers and baseball in general. Like this movie basically and it didn't invent walk up music, but it expanded it. You had all these young kids who were grown up playing baseball and seeing the scene where he walks out. It's a wild thing. And they're like, I want walk up music. And now that's a thing that bullpen pitchers do all the time. Sure. I think we haven't talked nearly enough about him, even though we spent over an hour talking about this movie. But Bob Euchre is Harry Doyle, the, the world famous, legendary, maybe the third most legendary baseball broadcaster behind um, Harry Carey, the Dodgers guy. And then I, maybe you talk, you bring Joe Buck in, but Joe Buck's not a, a local guy. But Bob Euchre is Harry Doyle, just an all-time, like, sound soundbite performance. Just a bit outside is the call oh, that everybody sure. does. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to, you know, to to do this movie was for that Hall of Fame decision. Now, when you talk Hall of Fame, what do you think of? Well, and, and before people get all upset at Rick for calling Harry Carey the Dodgers guy, that was no. Harry Carey, comma, the Dodgers guy. It was Vin Scully. Thank you, David. And I knew yes. you were going to come in and save me on that. Harry yeah. Carey, comma, Vin Scully, comma, Bob Uecker. Exactly. Thank so, you. <laughs> no problem. Please save, a- your, please save your hate tweets for something else. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, for me, you know, I look at it similar to what you said, but I think I also look at this from the aspect of, is this an iconic team? Like we think about iconic teams, you think about, uh, you know, for us here in, in the Valley, it's, it's, uh, it is that Diamondbacks team with Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez. It's the Barkley Suns. It's the, you know, Kachuk and Roenick uh, Coyotes. If you think of like on a more national scale, it's the Jordan's Bulls. It's the Showtime Lakers, it's the Bird, McHale, Celtics, you know, it's those teams. Um, you know, it's Brady and the Belichick Patriots. So, you know, you think of those iconic teams. And so, you know, while we're not comparing movie teams to iconic uh, real life teams, when you think of sports movie teams, does this is this a team that deserves to be in the hall of fame? And I I think it absolutely does. Um, It's a, as we talked about through the podcast, everybody plays a role and everybody is memorable. There's so many things that come out of this, whether it be the wild thing, walk up music, whether it be the just a bit outside, whether it be Pedro, Pedro uh, and and this lion's from the second movie, but Pedro went to bat. Uh huh. Um, but everything with like the putting the golf club head covers on his bats and and things like that. There's a uh, plenty of things that we get out of that. So um, Willie Mays Hayes run like run like Willie hit or uh, run like Mays hit like Hayes. Um, all those types of things I think are things that you know probably even more so in the baseball community are are memorable. But uh, it's hard to talk about baseball movies and not think of this team. So I think they absolutely are a team for the hall of fame. It's true. Absolutely, man. 
Uh, well, that is going to wrap it up for Major League, our first entry to our sports movie month. All April, we are looking back at some of the sports movies that we love the most um, and recapping them right here on the Popcorn Diet. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting subscribe, hitting that follow button. Take a second, hit the button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Share us with your other good movie buddies. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. We're slowly rolling out our franchise refill series on the fast and the furious right now. You can get the rest of those episodes just by going and becoming a patron. We get early access to episodes by becoming a patron and special patron only content. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another sports movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.